Hello, everyone. This is Kinga Tanayevska. Welcome to Ride and Talk with Angie Dukes and I. Greetings, everybody. It's always a pleasure to chat with inspiring individuals. And Kinga Tanayevska is exactly that. Someone who isn't afraid to chase their dreams of seeing the world their way on her bike. And that's the name of her website and YouTube channel too, On Her Bike, where many of her stories are documented. But don't head there just yet, because Kinga's here right now. And as usual, she's got a lot to say about her many adventures with Chile, her beloved F800 GS. Listen up. Hi there, Kinga. Welcome to Ride and Talk. It's great to finally pin you down for a chat. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy. It's nice hearing your voice again. It's been ages, hey? Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? I mean, I say pin you down for a chat. And by that, I mean that you're the one that's always on the move. The first time I interviewed you, I think I was riding across Australia on an F800 GS and you'd just done that and gave me some really good tips, especially about the grey nomads. <laughs> and the last time I saw you, we were together in the Gobi Desert in Mongolia at the yeah, GS Trophy. Exactly. That was, what, 2018, hey? Last time I saw you. Yeah, 2018. And, and now you've just arrived into Europe, I believe, from Africa. So it's three and a half years since I was on the road, but you're still out there. How do you manage it? <laughs> it's my life now. Uh, look, I, you know, it, it's been really last year and a half was pretty much right off for, for most of the people, right? Like we couldn't travel, but I sort of find a way. <laughs> I, I stuck in Europe during the lockdown in 2020 for nine months, but then I managed to go back to Africa in November last year and pretty much rode for another eight, nine months. And now I'm back to Europe for the summer because I just need to sort out my health issues <laughs> for the start and then uh, just have a little break from riding because I'm actually tired. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, nine months straight riding, it's just like, yep, I need a break now. And it's nice to be in Europe, you know, uh, summertime. So I'm, 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 you know, see the friends and family and yeah, it's nice. It's very nice to be back. Yeah, totally understand the need for a break. But let's put this into perspective for a minute, Kinga. Can you summarize for us, if possible, where you've been so far and how far you've ridden? Sure. So I've been on a road traveling around the world for four years now. I left Australia in April 2017 and pretty much this is my life now since then. Of course, you know, we have had a few poses for injuries, <laughs> broken legs and uh, and COVID, right? But, um, but even when, you know, I never went back to my engineering life for the last four years. So I'm pretty much living the nomad life. Yeah, I'm homeless. <laughs> you certainly are, yeah. Now, let's go right back to the early days, if I may, because you grew up in Poland. So I guess your early riding experiences, what was the first bike that you ever rode? Not the first bike you ever owned, but the first bike you ever rode. Well, I learned how to ride on Unak. It was a Polish motorcycle. Um, oh, they produced it, I think, after just after the war for only a few, few years. So this is like our legendary bike that, you know, it was their thing back then. And of course, now it's sort of like a veteran bike. You know, it's a collector's item, even in 90s. But so in 90s, you could see people, you know, that could still have them somewhere because of the grandfather who had it all, you know, and they restored it or something like that. So that was my very, very first motorcycle. And that was the Unak with a sidecar. So all I had to just get my head around, not the balance, but just starting, you know, clutch, gear, brake, you know, that sort of like move, to, you know, just a few meters, just right a few meters, get used to the, the, the bike. So that was my very, very first bike I've ever ridden. Yeah. Unak, what sort of size engine was that then? I think it's 350, something like that. But it will look big. It looked big. 
<laughs> you know, it's sort of sort of similar to Ural, that sort of the feeling, you know what I mean? That sort of generation of bikes, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And what about your passion for motorcycles in the first place then? Who who inspired you? Where did that come from? I'm not sure, but um, since I was a kid, I always liked motorcycles. And when I was a teenager, I, was, I don't know, I was coming to, to, to Warsaw or somewhere where there were big parades and rallies, and I was just looking at these bikes and I'm thinking, oh my God, I just really want to ride a bike. My father used to ride, but, you know, he stopped when I was seven. So it's not like, you know, I grew up uh, with a bike uh, in the garage because of my father. I'm not sure. And then I just basically asked my parents if they can buy me the first bike after my, you know, uh, finishing complete, like, well, during my, you know, last year of, of, uh, of high school. Uh, so, yes, I pretty much started riding when I was 16, back in the days in Poland. And in 2005, I immigrated to Australia. And you remember we had this chat when I've completed my trip around Australia on a, on my very first GS uh, 800. So what was it that made you want to emigrate to Australia then? You know, when I finished university, I knew if I get a job, I will not be able to travel because, you know, you've got responsibilities and that sort of stuff. So I said to my parents, I just want Australia was always my dream. And I, I told my parents, I just need to go there after my university and then just get it out of my system and then I will start looking for a job. So pretty much I sold my motorcycle because I had, you know, I had to buy a ticket to Australia and I had to have, uh, you know, money for the start. And tickets back then were so expensive. Oh, now we're paying one third of the price, yeah, what you used to pay. Uh, and that was it. And I just, you know, packed up and went. I didn't know anyone. And six months later, I met my ex-husband, well, to be, well, future husband to be. And then X to be, <laughs> and, uh, and, and and I stayed, and that was my life. You know, we we were together for ten years. I lived in Australia for twelve, and that was it. Yeah, so I worked in the pubs, and then I finally got my foot into engineering and you know construction industry because this is my background. And that pretty yeah, I lived really good life. I for for me Australia, it's my you know it's my home. Poland, yes, uh, I'm, I'll be always Polish. I am Polish. My parents are from Poland. I've got family there. But place, my place is definitely Australia. And I've seen a lot of other countries. And even until now, I think if I have to, you know, start from the scratch, I don't know, stop traveling and then move on with my life or settle down somewhere, definitely I'll go back to Australia. Yeah, I mean, if I recall, you found a job in the mining industry, didn't you? I visited yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. of uh, Australian outback mines uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Western Australia. It was Roy Hill Mining in the Pilbara region. Oh, I've worked there too. <laughs> okay, well, you you know that it is literally yeah proper outback, isn't it? But that, that's really really tough life for those who work there, isn't it? But I get the impression that you're a pretty tough cookie yourself. It was the best job I've ever had. Oh, I enjoyed it so much. So I worked like three weeks on and then 12-hour days. And then you've, they flew me, you know, to, to Sydney for one week. And that was pretty much, you know, flying, fly out. Three weeks on, one week off. I loved it. I loved working in the desert. I loved that it was so remote and you really need to sort out, sort the problems there. Uh, it's very important to have a good team. And I had, you know, I had brilliant team. We really got along. So it was really, really great experience. So this is the only job I can actually think of going back to. <laughs> everything else like mm, nine to five no definitely not <laughs> yeah well there's a lot of uh, ore that still needs to come out of that mine that's for sure so it was in oz that you bought your first adventure bike wasn't it tell us what made you go for an 800 gs you know it was very random when i started working for hansen because that was you know i'm, I'm 
civil engineer, I specialize in concrete. So I got a job with concrete uh, company in Sydney, but as a graduate. So I was on two year graduate program where they could relocate me anywhere. So I went to my boss and I said to him, listen, I need to go around Australia on my motorcycle. Can you just send me somewhere? <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure. Go to the mines in Western Australia. So, okay. So I had no idea what the job was about. I had no idea what I'd be doing there. I just knew I have one month to, to do the, you know, half of Australia, the Northern part. And then I have to work there for six months. Well, that was the deal at the start. And then I can come back with my bike through Southern part of Australia, back to Sydney. And of course, I stayed at the job year and a half because I loved it so much. Uh, but um, that was pretty much it. And why I picked 800 was really random. You know, when I... Uh, well, my first bike in Australia was FZ6, just this naked bike, which was great for zipping around the city. And I went to my very first Australian rally when I met riders. And rally in Poland, it's like a big event with a stage and lots of bikes and music and beer. Here in Australia, it's not like that at all. I mean, maybe there are uh, some, you know, for, for road road riders, maybe the rallies are different, look differently. But for ADV riders, you pretty much arrive to the bush and you have a campfire, nice talk, and that's it. So that's how I met first ADV riders, by chance, completely. And I was telling them, you know, guys, I'm going for this trip around Australia. I'm planning it now. Like, what bike should I get? Because I was always on road bikes and sports bikes, right? And they go, and they were all on the GSs. Like, just get yourself a GS. Get 800 because it's a little bit lighter. And I had no experience of gra on gravel, none. Um, so I, this is pretty much how I've chosen 800 GS. I just went to the dealer and I said to them, I have no money. Could you just, I'm going to take a loan. So could you just throw jacket, pants, helmet, gloves, <laughs> you know, panniers, everything, because I'm going around Australia. And, and they're just like, yeah, no worries. <laughs> you know? So yeah, that was it. And then, you know, it's like, I'll have money later. <laughs> I'll pay it off later and worry about it later. I like your style. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I think you put around 30,000 kilometers on that bike around Australia, documenting your, your adventures and gaining a strong following. But I believe that bike, it got destroyed, didn't it? And a head-on collision. So what exactly happened there? Yeah, so I did, I mean, going just around Australia, it took me uh, 19,000 kilometers. But of course, you know, I was riding the bike after as well. Um, it's just bad luck. You know, I was in this mountain pass and the car hit me head on. The girl was unexperienced, she was wet, so she blocked her wheels and came to my side, side of the road. And, you know, broken hand, broken leg was something that I could deal with, but post-traumatic stress was so heavy. I, I, I couldn't stop crying. Andy, I was just crying and crying. I could see this car coming over and over and over again. And uh, my ex rolled me on a wheelchair to the psychologist. Lucky, you know, I was entitled to psychologist because I knew I, I could, just could not shake that off by myself. Uh, and she said, you know, you're already halfway. I said to her, I don't know how you're going to do it, but you have to put me back on a bike. I am so scared. I don't know how, but you have to do it somehow. And she goes, you're already halfway there because people who have head-on collisions with a car, they don't want to go back on a bike because of the trauma. The bread, Your brain is registering that you're going to die and they don't want to do it anymore unless they're going for, for the therapy like me. Otherwise, it wouldn't be possible for me. It really wouldn't. So... The tense months of therapy are really, um, yeah, that's the only reason why I'm back on a bike. And it was very, very painful therapy, but hey, I'm back on a bike and enjoying it again. So that's good. And so once you'd sort of recovered from those physical and mental inju injuries, I guess, you went out and you bought another 800 GS. 
pretty much. Look, I I love 800, and I think this is this bike is just crafted for me. Um, 1200. Yeah, it's a beautiful bike to to drive around. Uh, beautiful torque, but you know the moment you load it, it's very heavy. And when you traveling solo through remote parts of the world or even Australia, it's like a tank. It's just for me, it's too heavy. You know, uh, 800 loaded, it's very heavy itself, but at least it's a little bit less, and you still get the comfort of the big bike. And, uh, and you know, the 20, 21 inch at the front, it's just, I love the height of it. I love everything about this bike. So I'm, you know, there's even now there's modern bikes, there's different types of bikes. Oh, it's just ugh, so much now, right on the market. But for me, 800, it's still by far my favorite bike. So I will ride it until, I don't know, Chile decided not to ride anymore, but she's still in very good shape after, you know, 100,000 kilometers. So I think we still have a few years ahead together. So <laughs> I'm not changing it for sure. Yeah. Good stuff. So you did the Australia trip. And of course, the dream at that time or after then was, I think, around 2017, it was to ship your bike to South Korea. Yes. And from there, continue via sea to Russia. And then basically ride through Mongolia and the stands, Iran, Turkey, and towards, you know, home or original home in Poland. So you've kind of done that, haven't you? Albeit in a roundabout way. Yeah, pretty much. So that section between Vladivostok, right, to Europe, it's you really limited with time. I think it took me eight months and that was rushing. There's so much to see. Mongolia, you know, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Iran. So now when I'm traveling, I'm allowing at least one month in each country. On that stretch, you cannot do that because there's too many countries and you have to rush. I started uh, riding uh, in Siberia in April when it was still snowing and I arrived to Poland in November when it was about to snow, you know. So it's really, you're rushing. So I felt like my first, this year of, of, of traveling, If yes, I've seen a lot. I would do it completely different. I would just like to slow down now. <laughs> yeah, so would I. It, it, it's a it's a big mistake, and it, it's a mistake I made as well. It, mm. it really, really was. And you know, there's only one solution, isn't there? Sort of go back and mm. do it again. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But you you also added Africa into the mix. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I'm in Europe, so it's just like you know, you go to the bottom of it, and you enter Africa. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to go around the world, so of course, Africa. Had to be on my itinerary and you know i was so scared to go out to africa i was so scared i thought it's gonna be bad it's gonna be dangerous i'm not gonna be capable of riding the roads i, I had like really i don't know low ex not, not in terms of low expectations i had a lot of fears right before i entered this continent continent because that's all we know africa is wild and you're on your own and lack of servicing lack of everything now I'm in Africa in total over two years, and I'm even mentioning about this break, you know, for COVID. And I haven't had even one bad experience. The bike was going smoothly. Uh, people were great. Nothing was ever stolen from me. Everything was just so smooth. I absolutely fell in love with Africa. And I'm thinking Mongolia was like the hardest of the hardest I've ever, like the harshest country. I mean, you've been to Mongolia at the trophy, but in riding Mongolia, on your own, especially as a woman, when I have no respect for women, it was really tough. It tested me on so many levels. But Africa, nothing but just great experiences. And I think, you know, maybe because I'm on the road for so long, I'm traveling in a different way. It's just, uh, and I'm not in rush. It's like I don't have to get there before winter because it's always warm on this continent. So you sort of move around trying to avoid the rain seasons. But apart from that, you're good to travel all year round. 
So, yeah, I absolutely love Africa. But, you know, um, this is my plan. This is my plan for today because <laughs> it keeps changing. But if, if, if you know, I dreamed about doing West Coast. So that was my plan. I'm going to do the East Coast of Africa and I'm going to do the West Coast. So I was thinking, oh, two and a half years and I get out of this. So now, you know, by the end of the year, I'll be like two and a half years over in Africa. And I think I'm ready to move to another continent because West Coast is still closed. People get stuck, got stuck in Morocco. They can't get out. It's just still very shifty and you don't know what's going to happen. So I think I'm going to leave the West Coast for later and I'm, I'm going to ship my bike to America at the end of the year. I'm ready for another continent. You know what I mean? New chapter. But great to hear such a positive story about Africa um, from you. And I've heard that from a lot of people as well and, and totally understand the, the fear factor before arriving but just out of interest you mentioned Mongolia there and riding across and of course you came to the GS Trophy in Mongolia the next GS Trophy is in Albania now I know you've spent a little bit of time there as well maybe rushing through a little bit too fast but riding with the locals and exploring the country so would you say it's a good choice of destination for the next trophy? Yes I think it's the place to be for the trophy Albania is I think on the top of the list of countries where in Europe where you still have the freedom and you don't need a route. Just pick your road and go. And you've got like for hard enduro riders, you've got all sorts of levels. It's biking heaven in terms of, you know, ADV riders and enduro riders. It's incredible. I think it's a perfect place to have GS Trophy. Absolutely. Now, just out of interest, how many kilometers has that GS got on it now then? 100,000. <laughs> she does 100,000. Good on you. Yeah, wow, she's still very incredible. young. <laughs> yeah, plenty, plenty of life left in her yet, for sure. When I set off on my round-the-world trip, I was determined to travel solo for the freedom, the independence and the maximum experience factor. Can you explain to our listeners why you also think that this is the best way to travel, even though it's not necessarily the safest? So for me, from my experience, my bike is my safety net. When I'm near my bike and let's say Egypt, very difficult country to get in, lots of police checks and a lots of bureaucracy that make your life miserable. And then um, if you're a backpacker, blonde girl in Egypt, you pretty much feel uncomfortable all the time because there's whistling, there's this, there's that. It's quite disgusting. You know, I don't know how backpackers do it. I would die. But if I'm with Chile, no, I have so much respect. People, you know, men feel intimidated. They don't do stupid things around me. So for me, riding a motorcycle as a woman actually empowers you. And actually people don't, I don't know, they have this respect, <laughs> respect for you. And, and another thing, they want to look after you because you're solo. And that would be to woman or men or anyone, right? Because you're a solo rider. So they're interested in your story. You're more approachable. People invite you to the places and... It's really nice. And I think it's the way to travel solo because you experience so much more. And even as a solo woman, I think you even experience more <laughs> than a man. Because, for example, if you're traveling through the Middle East, I get to talk to women and men. You as a man are lim only limited to the company of guys, right? So I actually experience way more. Um, so I think it's the way to go, Andy. I couldn't do it in a car. I couldn't do backpacking. I couldn't do hitchhike because bike gives you such freedom. And uh, you just pick whatever road you want. If you're feeling comfortable with it, you just go. And you wake up every day and you do, do what the hell you want. Uh, it's just great lifestyle, it's, and, which is very addictive. I don't know where I'm going to stop when. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, there'll be a lot of people listening to this, many with adventure bikes as well, who just love the idea of giving up the trappings of modern life, selling everything they own and literally riding off into the distance. But I do also understand and I know that life on the road is no holiday because I've seen how hard you work cultivating content for your channels and making sure that the experiences and the stories are there for your followers. And that, that takes a massive amount of effort, doesn't it? On top of what it takes, the, the energy that it takes needed to to haul your fully laden adventure bike around the world so you have to explain that a little bit because you're working your way around the world it's not a holiday is it no it's actually you know i call holidays when i'm not riding my bike yeah this is this is my holidays i came to europe this is my holidays chili spike somewhere else and now i can relax of course it's you know being um being on social media, active on social media, uh, you know, they call it influencers, whatever people call it now. But if you choose that path, you know, and this is my job because I am making money on YouTube. So I provide content, right? To make money, I need to provide content. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's just full-time job with a lot of overtime. And it's definitely... Uh, every six months, I get so tired, and I get so tired. I have like you know billions of pictures to post, and I have nothing, nothing, no captions to say, <laughs> nothing. A complete burnout, and it happens to me because there's only so much you can take. Like you're traveling, you're organizing, crossing the borders, then you work on your content and provide, you know, all of that constant, constant, constant work. Um, so yeah, of course you burn out, and that's why I know every six months I need to have stop for a month at least. Not riding my bike, just fly to Australia or Poland, have a reset, and then go back on the road. And then I'm enjoying it so much again. I was like, yeah, I'm back on the road. I'm so happy. But at the end of this six months, this is what's pretty much we we we're calling me now because I just came, you know, landed in in Germany. And I'm so tired. I am so, so tired. I just really want to have like a week in bed and watching movies and not thinking about anything. You just need to, you need to come down, need to reset my body and my mind and everything. You know, uh, when people see us online, it's like, you've got the life, no stress. You always look happy. Well, you know, there are bad moments as well, but why would you whinge about, you know, I I, I don't, I don't like whinging about, about things because I get still uh, live this life, which I would never swap for anything else. Yes, it's hard work, but it's so worth it because I've got the freedom. I rather having these stresses that you know I do have on the road or with my whole social media thing, than going back to engineering and <laughs> having that stresses and you know a job that uh, requires from you a lot of uh, attention as well, and you have no work-life balance because you overwork and very tired all the time. So yes, I I, pre- I prefer having having this life and yeah, but it's not so easy as people Absolutely. think. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about your bike? What kind of bond have you developed with her? Because I'm always blown away by how much a relatively simple piece of machinery can literally open up the world for you. <laughs> I have such strong connection with Chili. I it's like she's my best friend. It's like she's with me, you know, in these good times, in bad times. Sometimes I really mistreat her and throw her, you know, here and there and everywhere. And then she's behave, she's misbehaving and just like, you know, not doing the things that I want her to do. But it's, uh, it's just, it's like a human. It's like my best friend. I talk to her all the time, you know, that she's doing a good job and she's, you know, she's, she's performing very well. I said, don't break now because we're in the middle of nowhere. No flat tires, please. At least not today, you know. Um, so definitely my bond with Chile is just so strong. It's, uh, 
it's like she's a human, you know, she's my best friend. And like you said, it's your ticket to, to freedom. She's giving me this lifestyle. If it wasn't for her, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to experience it all. So it's incredible. But that's for all, all of, uh, you know, a lot of riders say the same thing. It's the bond with your bike. It's just so strong, especially, especially when you take it overland. Because there's just two of you, isn't it? And uh, no one else. So, yeah, it's very strong. Yeah, a lot of people talk to their bikes, that's for sure. But what about your riding skills now compared to when you started your adventure journey? You know, Andy, I think my riding skills are getting worse. <laughs> well, actually, because I don't push myself. No way. I think so. Because I'll tell you why. So before I took off for the trip, you know, I have a lot of training uh, with BMW. And then, of course, GS Trophy. I really pushed my boundaries and learned so much because, you know, you're in that group in that moment and you're going with the good riders, you know, and then... It's definitely I broke the mindset of riding on sand on a big bike on at the GS Trophy. I cracked that, you know, cracked that fear. That was my breaking point. Um, but when you're riding in a group, especially with, with in a group with a good riders, you improve your riding skills. You learn from them. And I'm traveling now by myself all the time, and I'm very conservative, so I don't take risks. Plus, I'm heavily heavily overloaded so it's a completely different technique than you just like jump on a you know you know unloaded uh 800 completely different and i think because because i'm by myself and i'm always have this no if i'm thinking if i'm at the point like should i should i not take that road i don't take it you know but it, I'm not saying, it, the, you know, um, I'm restricted because I'm riding big bike. Absolutely not. I always, you know, um, it's only in a moment, this, 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 like, should I do it or should I not? Okay, I know it's rain season. Should I take that risk? Because I know it's going to be a really challenging mud in the front of me. Should I really take it? You know what I mean? Or maybe I should just take paved road and wait for the for the road to the, uh, to the dry out or maybe wait until the rain season before you hit the off-road because I'm by myself. I don't want to break my leg in the middle of nowhere in Zambia or, you know, Mozambique or whatever. So um, I think, I don't know, I think I'm not, yeah, I'm thinking my skills are getting poorer. Although I'm confident, I mean, I'm not scared of riding. But I feel like this technique that you have on unloaded bike, you know, when you stand up and you throw up, you know, it's like, hmm, I don't think, yeah, I, th I think I should be doing some trainings here, here and there because <laughs> I'm just, yeah. Yeah, there's always room for improvement. But I think, like you say, you know, uh, there's a big element of self-preservation in what you do and you don't want your trip to end prematurely. You, you don't want to, to get injured. And, and as you say, you're carrying your life on your bike so i totally understand all that so but what about after all this time on the road though king do you think it's Im impossible now to go back to a normal life whatever that is you know this trip's gonna have to finish someday for sure i'll get old eventually right uh i can't be a gypsy nomad forever and maybe you know one day i'm gonna wake up it's like okay i think i've seen enough okay i'm ready to start my new chapter and then i'll do that but until then I'm just going to enjoy my life as it is because <laughs> I really do enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you. Are you financially secure? If that's not a, a too personal a question, no, or no, does no. does that even matter to you? Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Money is big stress, right? So normally on the road, I'm spending twenty five thousand a year. So I had at the time, you know, when I was living, I had literally fifty grand in my bank account, and in that sort of estimated, it should last me with no stress for two years time. 
and uh, and then like i said to you i ran all my money i had to sell my apartment and but at the moment youtube is making me enough money to live simple life on the road so that's great uh relief right because money is always stress oh my god it's the worst thing that's stressing me out the most is money and I think it's for everyone, right? Um, if you have a mortgage, if you're in debt or whatever, or if you your job is not, you know, you're not getting paid enough, you've got the bills to pay and family to support. Money is the biggest stress for all, all of us human, right? So of course it's very important. But I finally got to the stage where, you know, YouTube and I opened this uh, online t-shirt shop where people can buy t-shirts and they can support my travels this way. So everything, what's, you know, all this little income here and there, it's enough for me to travel without a stress, which is great. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely very, you know, it's a relief. Yeah, absolutely. You know, eliminating stress is, is half the battle for sure. Do you still get scared of anything when you're on the road? I don't get scared. I get angry. <laughs> I'm not angry, but it's just like irritated. And this is when I told you, um, six month mark where... I'm starting to be burned out and everything that suddenly irritates me, you know, normally I have the time for the kids and I've got stickers and I talk to them and, I, you know, I, I love engaging with people and, and kids. And then after six months, oh, no, I think I need to be by myself all the time. I don't think I can be around people. I was like, Kinga, you need to stop because you, st you really, everything irritates you. And um, I get snappy, you know, at the borders, every border crossing in Africa is the same thing. There will, there will be people there who try to, you know, for little fee, try to sort out your paperwork. And I normally have all the time for them. It's like, no, I don't need you. I cross so many borders. I'm capable of doing that by myself. Thank you. But if it's that at that mark of six months nonstop writing, like, no, I don't need your help. Leave me alone. <laughs> so this is the attitude, you know, sometimes... Uh, but it's normal, like it's normal to be grumpy when you're on the road for so long. But I don't get scared. I, I have, uh, last time I was scared was in Mongolia and Azerbaijan. And that's the only time, really, the only occasions on my whole round the world trip where I was really frightened for my safety and my life. And that's a while ago, so... Yeah, exactly, three years. So it's like, mm, it's nothing. That's really positive to hear, so... Mm. So are there any places that you've been on your travels because you've seen so much where you think, wow, I could really settle down here, put some roots down maybe? You know what? For the first time it happened to me when I entered Namibia and I just came back from Namibia, right? Oh, I actually rode into this country and that for the very first time I was thinking, wow, I think I could live here at least a few years. It's so beautiful, but it maybe I had this thought because it really reminds me of Australia. It's very remote. There's only it's a huge area, huge country, and only two and a half uh, million of people living there. You've got a lot of deserts, which remind me of Australian outback and limited off-road gravel roads. So just you know, in this last uh, five weeks, I did one and a half thousand on riding on unpaved roads like non-stop i didn't even see asphalt you know it it's just so beautiful and people are super nice and you know people from remote countries they've got, got completely like different mentality they're very helpful so if they see you on the side of the road they will stop they will ask you if you're okay all these are exactly the same in the outback um this is the mentality of remote countries so actually, for the first time, I actually thought, oh, Namibia is nice. I think I could live here sometime, <laughs> for some time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've heard a few travellers say that. That's interesting. But what about um, keeping yourself healthy on the road? I mean, there's nothing worse than having deli belly or equivalent when trying to hustle a fully laden adventure bike down dusty roads in the heat. What do you do to keep yourself healthy? Yeah, so I'm actually a very bad example of keeping yourself healthy on the road because I really don't eat well. I mean, I do eat well if I buy food, but if I'm on, you know, traveling through the mud places, all I have is canned sardines and instant noodles. So it's not like I'm eating healthy. And probably that's why I lose a lot of weight while I'm traveling. But um, yeah, last few months were actually quite tough on me because in my, I got Bilherzia from Malawi Lake. It was this parasite that lives in the lake and I just caught it from swimming in the lake. And since then, I had so many complications, uh, pretty much chronic bladder infection. I was just on five sets on antibiotics in the last four months. And it's just, and that's why, you know, that's why I'm so tired as well. It's not just because of traveling, but with all the health issues you had to deal with. And um, it is, yes, I think that was the worst for my health since the beginning of the trip. Yeah, every now and then you would have food poisoning, which is normal, you know. Um, but that's very rarely happens. And I think the longer you travel, your immunity gets stronger and you, you know, you're more resistant to these bacteria, especially, uh, the ones that are in food. Um, but yeah, this last few months were in that good run and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing proper doctor here in Germany and actually seeing what's going on and why, why is it happening, keep happening to me. Putting some weight on as well, and uh, drinking some beer, and uh, yeah, eating some eating some good food. What about those listening who are desperate for their own motorcycle adventure, Kinga? But maybe don't feel they have the courage or the ability. What's your advice to them? I think if I could do it, anyone can. And I thought exactly the same: that I'm not capable, that it's going to be too hard. What I'm going to do if my, if my bike breaks down? How I'm going to deal with the stressful situations? It's normal before a trip like that it's normal we all have the same fears every single person you know andy when you were going for your first uh big trip overland trip or around the world trip you were worried too like we all are until you you know you ship up your bike i don't know i had to ship out yeah i shipped out my bike i was just so scared i was getting onto that plane you know to korea and i'm like oh my god this is so scary how am i gonna do it am i capable and then you 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 know put your bike together and you start your engine and then face gear down the rest up and off you go and bit by bit you just get used to being on the road you know your rhythm you know what um how to behave and you learn it's it's a learning curve curve right for all of us but for all these people who think they're not capable or they're scared, just, you know, there was someone who said the sentence before I was leaving for Underworld Trip. Uh, never listen to people who haven't done similar things, right? So, of course, only the bad things going to come out, come out of, from people who haven't done similar things. So they're going to tell you you're stupid, it's, it's irresponsible, what you're going to do in this and that uh, situation. But people who've done it will never say you this. People who've done it's like, yes, don't wait, do it now because it's going to be the best part of your life. And we all have to do it while we can, right? Like, don't postpone it. Yeah, just go for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Do you feel grateful for the life you have? I mean, so many people in, in so many places, they'll never have these kind of opportunities. I mean, that is just the reality. Not everybody can do it, can they? Absolutely. You know, I pinch myself every day and I, I can't believe I can live this life. I never thought it's possible. You know, I had career uh, in Australia. I had I was married and I, I had mortgage for the house. I thought this is it. I made it as an immigrant in, in, you know, in, in Australia. I've done so well. I'm earning good money and having all this, you know, 
great lifestyle. And I thought, this is it. This is how I'm going to be just living with my husband for the rest of our lives. But just think, things happen differently. And I really had to reach rock bottom and be depressed and miserable. And, uh, you know, with a lot of stresses on my head to actually said, okay, enough is enough. Uh, I need to start a new chapter. And, you know, maybe it's easier when things go bad, it's easy to make that call to leave everything behind. Yeah, because if you have a great life, great relationship, you know, a great job, it would be very hard to leave it all and just just go right because of the responsibilities, because of the relationship and everything else. But if you have nothing left, I think it's easier <laughs> or everything is bad. So it's like, OK, time to start something new, right? <laughs> Yeah, there's usually a background story to these things, these decisions, isn't there? That's it. That's it. Very interesting. So where does the future lie for, for you, Kinga? For next few years, definitely out there in the world with Chile. <laughs> and then we'll see. <laughs> and finally, Kinga, where can people read and see more about your adventures? Well, in terms of reading, I'm very bad with my blog because I pretty much stopped writing it because I just don't have time. Although maybe I will catch up <laughs> during this summer break in Europe. Um, so my blog and page is on herbike.com, but uh, they can, you know, every week I'm posting new video on my YouTube channel, which is on her bike, and they can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Superb. Well, listen, thanks so much for talking to us today. It's always inspiring hearing about your adventures. Thanks for being our guest on Ride and Talk, and we wish you the very best for whatever lies ahead on your journey. Thank you so much, Andy. It was nice chatting to you. Thank you so much for taking interest in my story and, and your time uh, for this chat. Thanks, Kinga. 100,000 kilometers already and so many places still to see, eh? Keep riding and keep posting about your adventures. It keeps many of us going until we can plan our next ones. That's it for today, everyone. I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay safe and see you out there soon enough. Bye for now. <laughs>